This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Jay Belaros. Jay is an aficionado and practitioner of all things old, gritty, and soulful, and was on the vanguard of drummers who began bringing vintage drums and sounds into modern music. His unique aesthetic has found a home both on stage and in the studio with Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, T-Bone Burnett, Ray LaMontagne, Bonnie Raitt, Paula Cole, and many others. He also plays in guitarist Molly Miller's trio with his wife Jennifer Condos on bass. Our Patreon content now features our recent guest Pat Petrillo discussing the recording of his version of Black Cow for his new record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sone and Will Kennedy, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash workingdrummer. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, I'll be in the area with Ain't Too Proud at the Paramount Theater in Seattle, January 24th to February 5th, and Keller Auditorium Hall in Portland, February 6th to the 12th. Go to ain'ttooproudmusical.com for more info, and please hit me up if you're coming. I'd love to meet up and say hi. Jay has really created his own time zone on the drumming landscape, and he's a great example of having confidence in his approach and having the patience to find situations where it belongs. Both his perspective and the way he expresses it are esoteric and poetic and funny, and I had a great time talking with him. So here we go. Hope you dig Jay Belaros. days I used to be I, I've always been a night owl and I've tried to readjust like, during the pandemic yeah um it, it you know I would go to bed at five in the morning or something like that sitting in so, here listening to records yeah practicing <laughs> and so I mean people can't hear me so I mean mm-hmm. we have really cool neighbors so I just did whatever I wanted to do it right uh but now I'm on an early schedule but with that said it, I'm still 
Yeah, it's uh, it was still foggy. I, I, I have a theory, you know, I was born at 6.01 p.m., I, I think, it was the exact time. And I, I think that's my that's when my day starts. <laughs> and I've always felt that way, even when I was a kid. Six at, Around 6 p.m. is when, yeah, when, when you... Yeah, it's when I feel like I, I can handle other humans, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be, you know... I, I don't get worried. I'm yeah, no, no, because I'm in my room. So right, <laughs> but I, uh, that's funny. I um, I need I, I need some time before I can handle other humans. Regardless of what time I get up, you know, I have kind of a routine in the morning, and yeah. when that routine is complete, it's like okay, I'm I'm ready to go now. But it's it's good to my, you know my wife gives me shit all the time. That <laughs> Jennifer knows now that she can't ask me questions in the morning. Right. Right, and it's it's good to know that someone's uh, someone's ready to go time is later than mine. <laughs> yeah, it takes me a while, and it, it sometimes you know, like I said, it takes to about a normal dinner time for people like six o'clock or whatever. Yeah, know, yeah. Where I just feel, and now even on an early schedule, uh, and I, if I go to bed early, I, I still I feel a little gypped, you know, because I, I that time of night is when I, I start to feel really good about everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So how has that affected your, I mean, I'm sure you've had to, you know, do endless sessions during the day. Do you have yeah. to, like, engineer your... Uh... <laughs> yeah, there's a, you know, a lot of coffee involved. Used to be a lot of coffee involved, not so much anymore. Uh, yeah, I a lot, you know, driving to the, to the studio, there's always some kind of meditation going on. and just keep it together, you know, just go in and right. be cool. <laughs> Right. Um, so we don't often do a ton of uh, geeking out on gear on this podcast, but I do want to start uh, by talking about um, your your setup with uh, with Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw you a few months ago at Chastain Amphitheater in, in Atlanta, and you were super gracious and generous to get Christina and I the... The tickets and the passes and and it was one of the best concerts i've ever seen like oh, the the wow. best in recent memory just from a performance standpoint from a, st- a sound standpoint um yeah we have a, an ace yeah sound guy that he he cares yeah so much yeah he was so prepared when he came in and um r- remarkable i feel very safe in his hands yes so um Let's just start by by talking about what it is you're you're playing on that on that tour. It's a, a rolling bomber drum set made by Slingerland in the '40s World War II time, mm-hmm. uh, and there you know if, there's lots of information online. But the the gist of the story is that it there was uh, metal rationing going on, so a lot of the components on this drum set is made. Uh, it's made of rosewood or walnut or really hard wood. Mm-hmm. So there's a big warm sound that comes out of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I stumbled on them by accident when I, years ago. I, I, I purchased them with uh, Ray LaMontagne in mind. I was about to go on the road. Jennifer and I both were about to go tour with him. Mm-hmm. I was listening to his music, and I had just started to get onto eBay and start that horrible habit of, <laughs> you know, lots of bidding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I was listening to his music and they, I, you know, scrolling through all the drum sets and, and this thing, this drum set, beautiful drum set came up and it was, I think the seller didn't want to sell the drums. I could tell it would just by how much he cared about, there's a big write up on it and a beautiful composed photograph yeah. of the drums on, uh, he, I think he lived on a farm there was a barn in the background and a pickup truck, and then the, the drums were under this big, beautiful tree. Uh, and they they just looked like the music was sounding to me. They looked like the, the, they needed to be part of. And so that's kind of why I got those drums in the first place. Right. And um, I, they, it's, it, it immediately was, you know, it was a, there was a connection. Yeah. yeah. And a very strange connection, too, because they, I... I feel like they they are alive. <laughs> you know, they they're really temperamental and they're very moody mm -hmm. and right off the bat I found that out the right. right way, you know. Yeah. Uh were the original heads still on it? Yeah. <clears throat> and I made the big mistake of taking them off, mm. which I had to tap them off because they they'd been on there since the 40s, I think. Wow. And there were, you know, lots of there's some voodoo dust that just came out of these things you know? <laughs> and i probably shouldn't have let that out but because they they were very difficult for about three or four days and when i put first of all i didn't like i said i, I didn't know anything about these drums and not nobody really did mm -hmm. you know um and i tried to put remo heads on the drums and they wouldn't fit right and that's when I started getting hip to the American vintage heads because they're, they're designed for that purpose. Right. And they fit, but when I, I tightened them all up, they didn't make a sound. You know, I, I, <clears throat> they, the, the shells are kind of out of round and all of that yeah. business. And, uh, I was just trying to get the ripples out of the head. Mm -hmm. you know, and when I did that, you, there was no tuning involved. They were just, you know, just tight and not toneful and mm -hmm. very choked. And I had had these drums shipped to my sister's house in Maine because I was about to re rehearse and meet Ray for the first time in Portland, Maine. Huh. So the drums showed up, and I take them out, took the heads off, put these other heads on. You know, I scrambled for about three days, and the drums were not making any sound. Ugh. And... An hour before the rehearsal, the drums weren't making any sound. Oh, God. We went in the car, went to the rehearsal with Jennifer. We met Ray, talked for an hour before we played a note. I set the drums up, and I'm thinking, I know that these drums aren't going to work. And I'm just praying at this point, you know. So you know, he suggested that we start rehearsing. And yeah, yeah. I went over to the drums, and I swear to God, I sat behind them, and they opened up wow they just they sound you know the way they sound now right right but they that's when i knew these things were gonna give me a hard time they, <laughs> they were in charge they, and i i tell everybody techs and everybody that i work with that they're in charge right you know right and don't don't tune them if they sound if they're not sounding good at sound check just leave them they're gonna change yeah <laughs> and usually like clockwork by by showtime you know they're like me you know they, they wake up in the evening 
Yeah, don't talk to the drums before six. Exactly. (laughs) And they they just, you know, there are days where they're not they're not firing in all cylinders you know mm-hmm. sometimes the rack tom's not happening and i just play whatever sounds good on a given day and then once in a while they're all just rocking they're all just perfect and sounding great right you know? it, um, it it seemed like uh atlanta was one of those nights i don't <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean the they usually sound really good but then there are days where it, they're unbelievably beautiful yeah yeah so in terms of um i mean i can't imagine taking you talk about how temperamental those drums are i mean i I can't imagine taking a drum set like that on tour like what special considerations well i spent more in the road cases yeah than i did the those drums at the time i want to say they were they weren't more than fifteen hundred dollars And now, you know, I went to buy a second rolling bomber set. Probably my fault. You know, after <laughs> three or four years of working with Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, and a pretty high profile, and people were seeing me play these drums, and a lot of people were curious about them. So when I went to buy another set, it was about $6,000. <sighs> yeah. And now I think they're even creeping up a little bit more. Yeah, know? yeah. So just. But, but the road cases. Um, or have been great. I mean, these, the, that's my working set. You know, that's the one I had on the road. And it's not in pristine shape. It wasn't in pristine shape when I got it. The, right. the set that I've spent six grand on is immaculate. <laughs> and it has the original wooden legs on the floor tom and a matching. Wow. That set on the road doesn't have a matching floor tom. I bought that aside. Okay. It has a different finish. Got it. It's got a white marine pearl finish. But... Uh, but that set works really well on the road, and I don't mind. You know, it's getting chewed up a little bit, but it it's just it's like Willie Nelson's guitar, right? <laughs> which I don't have a problem with. They just keep gluing it back together. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, in terms of um, you know, miking this kit and and capturing uh, your sound on it, um, you mentioned your your uh, your audio guy. Uh, what is his name again? Mark Kennedy. Right running sound for you and talk about the um the set of mics that y'all are using to capture that kit and the conversation around uh how to yeah <laughs> how to capture you know, that sound the details of the i'm so i'm really bad with audio gear <laughs> um and knowing let's see well aside from, i can tell you that the bass drum has a Sennheiser mounted inside of it, one of those flat mics, like what are those? Uh, a, a, 90. Yeah, 91. 91. Oh, the Sure, yeah, the yeah. Beta 91. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, um, and he has uh, the, the football mic on the outside, uh-huh. I think. He told me he was favoring the inside mic for the most part, mm-hmm. which is. Um, interesting because it, I, I never knew it to be a pleasing sound. Yeah. It always sounded like a big beach ball, but he figured out some way of dialing it in. He's a magician. I don't really know how. You know. Oh, he had the. Uh, wait, did it? So I've done a few gigs since then. I've seen other mic setups. I think he had the. Again, uh, 
the big blocky old school Tom mics, uh, the Sennheisers. Oh yeah, the, the uh, 421s. 421s. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe he's using 421s. Uh, I can't remember what he had above me. There was a big overhead, a single overhead, and I couldn't tell. It might be <clears> one of those, uh, you know, like those AEA stereo kind yeah, of Yeah, I figured that's what it was. Yeah, um, they on the first tour, they used something like that, that. They figured out that that was like a really good way of capturing me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like without getting into the weeds too much about, you know, the, the tech of it all, my overall takeaway from that concert was that the, it's it's kind of minimal miking on the drum set. Like, there aren't a ton of mics right. on the drums, um, and it, it goes along with just, I think, the aesthetic of, like, your playing and that drum set, it, like, just capture the whole sound. We don't need to isolate stuff. We don't need to worry about, like, bleed too much. It's a... No, I mean, there was a <clears throat> little bit of... It's, I don't know... Uh, conversation with not so much for me but baffling some of the the amps and stuff yeah because <clears throat> um, I don't play super hard right that's another thing I noticed you know the the sounds coming off the stage were obviously super huge but those drums the I mean they can take some power but they really you know the lighter you play them the bigger they sound yeah yeah do you find that to be true for most drums or, or I find that to be true for most instruments. <laughs> and it's something I learned from watching really great bluegrass players and mm -hmm. people who play mandolins and acoustic guitars. And uh, if you hit those instruments, especially the old instruments, too hard, they just collapse. And, yeah. And they they sound like a like a maraca or you know, they you lose the body of the sound. Right. So when I got these bomber drums, they allowed me to play that way. Like, I could play really soft. Right, right. And I used that drum set on most of the uh, Raising Sand, the first Raising Sand record. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was done with my hands. Wow. And they just cranked me up. Yeah. Just, you know, boosted me up. Wow, that's amazing. Um... I was talking with Matt Starr yesterday about how um, more and more drummers are, you know, gaining uh, expertise and experience uh, recording themselves and engineering their own sessions. Um, and Matt sort of speculated that that uh, is leading to um, drummers having more of a say in a recording session or in a live miking situation there's more of a conversation happening with uh sound engineers because it, matt's whole point was like you know a, a, a sound engineer no matter who they are cannot possibly know my drums as well as i do right like i've put in way more time like playing and recording these drums um and so I like I have an intimate knowledge that then the sound engineer can benefit from, um, you know, our intimate knowledge combined with their expertise is leading to drummers having, like I said, more of a say in, you know, how the drums are miked and and just the whole process. Have you found that to be true? It seems like you have that relationship with. Yeah. Uh, well, I <clears throat> I'm at a point now where I've I've had a chance to 
present the way I hear things. Yeah. To, you know, it's out there now. Yeah. And it's because, I mean, T-Bone Burnett was, he, he, he really n noticed or paid attention and liked what I did, you know what I mean? Right, right. Without a lot of conversation off the right initially, you know. And I just, I, I had a lot of room to develop. And they were, they were, he and the engineer, Mike Persante, is really brilliant engineer. Uh, they, they were really working on low end and like everything that I was really into, I just walked in and they were kind of ready mm -hmm. and we, I, we sort of all found it together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on a loose level, I, I could pay attention to the way they capture me. So if I go off and work with people that aren't too familiar with me, then I, I can guide them a little bit. But what is happening now is, you know, I'm getting hired mainly because of a lot of those records that I played on that T-Bone produced. Right. You know, and also Joe Henry as well. Like, he was a big... Uh, he was another outlet for me where I could just have freedom to, mm -hmm. to explore. Um, but, I, you know, T-Bone really took the plunge for me. Because I moved out here. I was floundering for a couple of years, and no one... I couldn't get arrested out here. No one... They would just run for the hills when they saw me with wow. these dusty old drums. And, yeah, yeah. Um, when did you move out here? I moved out here. I got going. It was probably like nine, ninety nine, and then two thousand is when I settled. Okay. Sort of. Okay. Um, but I, I, I was a little lost for a couple of years, you know, and, and then I, I started meeting like minded people, and and then I got into that orbit with you know. Sam Phillips and T-Bone and Joe Henry and Jennifer, yeah. I met Jennifer that which was huge right on a right. lot of levels but um so yeah I you know I was able to really explore and uh and and develop but now I'm at a point now where unless it's just horribly wrong from the get-go I like to let engineers I, I'm open to a different interpretation of it too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, uh, but it's. I mean, the 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 guidance I always give is is the proximity in my ears. That's how I hear things to the drum set. Right. That's the way I'm I'm playing. That's right. the way I want to hear it. You yeah. Know? And uh, and maybe close micing is for filler or to, but. I'm making the sound that I want to hear, right? And I, I, and I think if engineers agree with that, then it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm, I'm getting hired <clears throat> because of that sound more. You know what I mean? Like before, I had to fight for it. I had to. Right. I, I wasn't. People weren't convinced that you could go play a rock session on an old set from the '40s. You know? Yeah. And I've done it a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> It's my version of it, and it's not. It's a different version of it, but it, you know. And if you like that version of it, that's it. Right. Right. I got it for you. <laughs> so uh, when you say you had to fight for it, um, were uh, were engineers or, or producers um, trying to uh, trying to capture your sound in a, in a way that you know would fit with a modern set, but didn't work for 
a vintage set or were they trying to convince you to play modern drums or yeah a little uh, of everything but uh, what i found and it it's still true you know people have a tendency to uh listen with their eyes yes so they see some gnarly drums come through the door and they can't imagine that's gonna sound right but I know that it's going to sound right because I, you know, I, I prepare for the, I listen to the music, I pick the instruments that I think are going to work for yeah. the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they just—I mean, you can this big old bass drum over here. You can make that sound as small as you want it to sound, mm-hmm. and as tight, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a more interesting sound than actually using a small bass drum. Right. You can't take a small bass drum and make it sound like that. Yeah. So a lot of the time, I would bring that just for range. You know, I would. I, and if it needed to be like old school, like kind of single-headed drum with the pillow, and you know, I could do that. Right. I could find it with that. Right. Drum. Well, it, it speaks to what Matt was talking about in terms of just knowing our instruments and and having. You know this intimate familiarity. That's exactly with right. And yeah. it, it seems like you know with um, with your bag and the whole um, the whole vintage thing, at least as far as LA is concerned. You know maybe you were kind of the, one of the first ones through the wall <laughs> and got a little bit bloody. Yeah, um, yeah. I, but, maybe. I mean, I, I I think you know it all changed as soon as I got T Bone's blessing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all all of a sudden there was an understanding. Right. Which is kind of funny to me. It, it, <laughs> right. Because it was always there, you know. It was the it didn't change, you know. What didn't change? I my approach. Yeah. My my love for you know that I'm going to bring old drums into a session. Right. You know, right. and I just I feel like they'll they're gonna sound good. Yeah. You know I don't I don't have to. I mean, there. If you want modern drums and there's lots of people who do that. Yeah. You know you just get the that's the the thing that I learned from T Bone too is just it's just cast you get the right people for the it's job. It's casting. Yeah. Yeah. You just so if you like this world this all all of this old stuff then. I got plenty of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, was the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss thing the the f- first? Uh, it was, was it kind of your first go around with T Bone? Was that the project that he? No. Um, what was first... it that he kind of like uh, uh, anointed you and said, "I want, I want your thing." <laughs> the f- the first session I did was for uh, a really great songwriter, Sam Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on a record called boot in a shoe and that's the that made the the connection and shortly after that he invited me to play he was making a solo record at the time called true false identity and he loves drums he really loves drums so that record had three drummers playing live together on the floor so it was me jim keltner and carla azar jesus Um, if you haven't listened to that record, you, you should yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah. I think Jim's down the middle, and I might be like on the left, and she's on the right. 
I did a lot of double drumming mm -hmm. for a while in, in T-Bone's world. The Robert Plant Allison Krauss record was the first record that I did alone. Mm -hmm. And it was horrifying. <laughs> you know, it's that I think we all have those moments where you, know, you go to a session and you think today's the day that everyone's going to find out that I I don't know how to I don't know what I'm doing. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? It's yeah. just that weird those voices start yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that I really had that feeling on that session. I mm -hmm. walked in there going, "Okay, there's no Jim's going to get a call tomorrow, I'm mm -hmm. sure." Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there, there's there's something about fear that pushes you along. You know. Mm -hmm. Talk more about that. Like you. You don't have many choices, you know. Right. You can either just walk out, and that's that, and that's not a good look. You know? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I love playing drums too much to, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in a room with these incredible musicians. Mm -hmm. you know, Dennis Crouch on bass, you know, he, he was on the tour. Yeah, yeah. And Mark Rebo. And yeah, like that, fuck, you know? man. Um, and I think it was more that, like, those guys were going to go, oh, no, I wish Kellner were here. I wish some, you know, just... Um, so at that time, like, you were relatively new. You were relatively unknown yeah. uh, to, yeah. to all these guys in that world. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a, another life elsewhere, you know, uh, early on. Uh, there's this... There's a singer named Paula Cole that I kind of got started mm -hmm. with on the road. It was my first big record that I made years ago in the 90s. And yeah. you know, that my first touring and everything. And we were like brother and sister, you know. So we, um, I spent a lot of time with her. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved out here, she took time off to have a family. And, and I just went into this whole other zone. And that's when I found myself in, in that world. Yeah, yeah. How long was that uh, session? The Raising Sand session? Yeah. I want to say maybe it was maybe it was a week. Okay. I think I was supposed to be there for a couple weeks. Right. But we, we finished ahead of time. I, I believe. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm so foggy about these things. And was the band all together? Were Robert and Allison sing along? Yeah. Yeah, it was all going down, you know. And then they w would fix stuff and, you know, go in and... Um, sometimes maybe not, you know. Had you met either of them before this no. project? It's funny because... I mean, now... Everybody's familiar with and agrees that those voices work really well together. Yeah, <laughs> they sound beautiful. Yeah, they really sound beautiful. But um, I don't know. Way way back when this ha first happened, there were a lot of skeptics, and I wasn't skeptical, but I just didn't think that of putting those two singers together. So when I first got called, I thought I was going to Nashville to do a, a Robert Plant record first mm -hmm. and then I would do an Alison Krauss record after that mm -hmm. and I and then one on the first day they were both there and they started singing together I realized oh this is great yeah. this is interesting wow um, and I think you know there was a they talk about this that 
they just wanted to give it a go and and after a few days if it if it wasn't working they just just move on from it but some with that particular group of musicians and with T-Bone and something that hit a spark you know yeah. they just kind of for sure started moving yeah yeah and I, I that's one of those moments in my life as a musician as I was going to the I've heard these stories from other people but as I was going to the airport um, Robert called me and he was really excited and then he he asked me if I would be available to tour and the record you know hadn't even been we'd just done the Wow! Yeah, the like initial you, track you just got done with the but session. there was an energy about it. Yeah, um, and I just felt like this is this is a special moment. Mm-hmm. What's happening with this particular crew? Yeah, and um, and these these two incredible singers. Yeah, um, and so in terms of the fear that you mentioned, was it? Um, I mean, I would imagine there there was just sort of an intimidation factor with Robert fucking plan right there. Yeah, he was very nice, though. Like, he di- sure, he but... Di- he diffuses a lot of that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's inevitable. You, you know, even if things are going well, you, you're going to hit a snag at some point, right. you know, and just... It, it's knowing how to tuck and roll, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Be able to... Take take a take a fall, yeah. Like the vaudeville actors, you know, right, right. And you don't hurt yourself, but so I just, I just try to stay positive and keep moving, and and really be in the moment and appreciate that. Jesus, look where I am. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a kid in Maine with that Zeppelin poster on my be- bedroom right. wall. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then, I, I mean. I, there aren't too many singers better than Alison Krauss. Yeah, they're they're both of them are just incredible. It's such a gift to yeah. be able to be in the middle. And yeah. it's interesting. I mean, it's, I was I was going to ask two different worlds, you know. I mean, in like, a way, you know, they're with the two different singers. Yeah, yeah. different styles, you know. For sure. I mean, th- now they're kind of fusing into this whole other sound, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I know what you mean about it being two different worlds and like from the audience perspective, um you know, over the course of the concert, sometimes you're in Robert's world and sometimes you're in Allison's world. And like you said, sometimes you're in this combined fusion of, of the two together. But there's space for all three of those things. Oh, yeah. Throughout the concert. No, and that's what makes it really, you know, exciting. And Do you ever sit back there and, and think, like, I'm, I'm sitting where John Bonham sat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there, there were times, you know, where, you know, obviously... Uh, there have been some years that have gone by since the Zeppelin days, but yeah. when the light catches, you know, Robert's hair, you know, <laughs> it's it's the same, it's the same hair, you know, dude. It was incredible, <laughs> and it's the same voice. I mean, he, yeah. like he sounds different, obviously, and he uses his voice in a different way. Yeah, and I, I and think... phys- his his physicality on stage, his movements too. Like, I remember when we first started rehearsing for the first tour. T-Bone made the comment of, yeah, I mean, watch his shoulder, you know, Bonham's foot, Bonham's bass drum is in his shoulder, you know, wow. like he, he could just feel that pop, you know, he, he just has a, has a swagger, has a, has a groove. I love you know? that you mentioned that because one of my favorite things about playing with 
singers is to kind of figure out um, where their physicality is. Because like most most singers will just dance in some way that sort of tells you what they're feeling or what they need. And, you know, sometimes you have to pay attention and watch them really close. Other times, you know, somebody will just tell you, like, this is what they do. Watch out for it. Yeah. Um, well, I find that way that that's the case with musicians in general, too. I always, I like to get a, an idea of where people hold the time yeah. in their body. Yeah, know? yeah. And some people are moving their feet, but you don't want to follow their feet. Right. Recently, I've been having... Uh, dental work done because of you know, my grinding my teeth. Oh wow! And, you know, and and the dentist just wanted to give me a night guard and said, "Okay, you're grinding your teeth at night." And and then I realized that like, I don't know if it's all happening at night. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, I could, yeah. because my whole life I've always um, you know, it was a time when I was a kid I didn't have a drum set so. I would walk around with music and drums in my head, and I'd play drums with my teeth. Like I did that, that too. Like floor tom on this side, and you know what I mean? Stand yeah. Up. And I was moving like around the drum set with my teeth. So, wow. So, yeah, it, it wears it. I didn't have a whole drum set in my mouth. I yeah. just kind of would click. Like, I would oh, yeah. just no, I would Sometimes I would, I would just visualize, you know, going around a drum wow, set. Wow, that's amazing. And then, you know, play play like that yeah, yeah yeah so anyway so i'm really i'm really interested in where people hold the time yeah you know? and, what uh, what about allison like she doesn't move a whole lot that's true she doesn't she she's swaying a little bit these days but yeah um i toured with her before the pandemic with just with her guys you know the bluegrass band and uh none of those guys moved mm. I mean, I, I I try not to move, but it's it's hard because I I, I keep time with with movement, right? You know? But it's horrifying because I I don't want to when you're standing when you're on stage with a bunch of people who don't move a whole lot, you look like a muppet. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> yeah. So I was yeah, yeah. really trying to to. to but it, it, you get lost in the music, you know, right. and it's just, there's, there are physical movements that I do uh, that helps me with the space between the notes. Yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. Yeah. And none of it, none, for what it's worth, none of it seemed ostentatious. Like everybody, yeah. nobody stuck out. Everybody was well, just kind of. We got, you know, there's a little more, like JD's, you know, he's, he's kind of physical. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. That, that helps. You know, Dennis. He's got that hand thing that he does, yeah, uh, which is really beautiful. It's like a you know, it's like a ballet, right? And, uh, but he stands so still; yep. he doesn't, yep. doesn't move. And Allison, like, you know, I've I've played with a million singers, um, and some of them are really like all over the stage. Some of them are mm -hmm. incredibly physical uh, and incredibly, uh, you know, expressive in that way, and you can you can get a lot from that, but. You know, the, the opposite end of the spectrum is the singer like Allison, who just, like, holds a place well, and, I love and owns it. Watching her from, you know, out in the audience sometimes, I, I think on her, on that tour, I would go, I'd, I'd have, like, three or four songs where I didn't play in the mm -hmm. middle of the set, so I, sometimes I would go out front to see 
what it looked like and sounded like. And I, I love her delivery. It, it, it's like she's having a conversation with the audience. Yeah. She's kind of she's looking around and really projecting the music to yeah. the people. Yeah, yeah. And like she's just t talking to people. Yeah. And it's really riveting and beautiful. It is, and it feels like it. It takes a ton of. Um, it's not. Doesn't feel like performing. Right. And it takes a lot of security not to perform, right? To just be there on stage sure and not be more than you are and not try too hard and just... Especially to go out. The first song we would do on that set, on her set, was a ballad. Mm -hmm. So you go out and sing a ballad. There was none of this, let's go hand him over the head and right. you know, do slow it down in the middle and then ramp it up again. There was a great deal of security and just just going out there and pulling getting people to lean in right right she she's the best at that yeah you just lean in and, right. and want to listen to her and then robert hits everybody over the head yeah he likes <laughs> he likes to shake it up for sure yeah, yeah yeah so i mean those two dynamics it's tricky for to be in the middle of that yeah i mean if, I've over-exaggerated the story over the years, but it's very funny. I, it, it, it did happen often that I would run into disgruntled Zeppelin fans. I mean, they, sure. they're just... They're always happy to hear Robert, but, you know, some of these guys are just pissed because Zeppelin's never going to get back together, you know, <laughs> and they're trying to deal with it. Right. <laughs> um, and so the audience... And at the on the first record, the everyone was just wrapping their heads around this combination. Yeah. So it was divided into three categories. So the disgruntled Zeppelin people, um, some of them were happy. The bluegrass. Yeah. Very strict about some of those bluegrass people. Drums or the devil. Right. Right. You know, because a, a bluegrass band is a drum set, and everyone has a role yep. in, in playing. I learned so much about how to play a drum set from watching these great bluegrass musicians. You mm -hmm. know? And then, and then there, there were the people that knew the record and liked the record and accepted the record, and I was part of that. So kind right. of, I, that was my get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I'd run in... Either the Zeppelin people would just go after me and complain that I didn't play hard enough, and like, like to your face. Yeah, it's just like, Jesus. man, you know, why don't you play like Bonham? Let you hit those drums. It's funny because Bonham played like a jazz player. Like, yeah, he didn't. There wasn't pile driving. He was dynamic. Yes. But he wasn't playing like a... It wasn't like that all the time. Like, yeah. there there are some videos of him, like, just absolute caveman, like, above his head, but I think most of the time... Yeah, but toneful, though. Yes. Still toneful. Yes. You can still make tone with that kind of right. movement. Yeah. And that He's wasn't not... his norm. That was the top of his range. You know, he also, like like you said, he played so dynamically. Yeah. You know, and there, there, there are drummers that... that crush the sound they push the sound into the drums you know mm -hmm. so um but he was he pulled things out but anyway they, they would get on my case about that and then the bluegrass people uh, no there were there was actually a woman that 
told me I was ruining Allison's career. To your face. To my face. Like, why Why are you playing drums with her? Like, you're ruining <sighs> her sound Christ. and all that. You know? And, she, I mean, she, she has drums on her tours and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, so... There were those moments that would that would happen. That I thought were really funny, but I I also I used I just used it all in my approach. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it. Those are hard facts. It's where she's coming from, where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, where I'm coming from, and how to how to approach all of this stuff. Like how to. Uh, provide enough power and enough sensitivity at the same time so interesting so you you get you get this uh criticism from uh the the zeppelin police and the bluegrass police (laughs) and you know my my instinct would be to tell these people to fuck off and (laughs) um that like I'm, I'm not John Bonham. This isn't Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Alison Krauss likes drums. Like yeah. this is what it is. Fucking deal with it. But you're. It, it sounds like you kind of like took this into account and um, incorporated it into well, your I just, approach. I just knew that. Yeah. It was some of their complaints were. It's. It was bigger than me. It, you know. It's. It's bad. It's the baggage, especially with the the Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. reunion stuff. Mm-hmm. That's baggage that I have nothing to do with. Yeah, and I'm I'm part of something that is developing. That's a new thing. Right, that people aren't caught up to yet. Right, it's and now different. it's different because people have been catching up to it. You still there's you know you look out in the audience, you see the t-shirts and yeah. you, you see the look of hope that ah <laughs> uh, you know, but. I had not seen the band before, and and I wasn't r- really aware of of you know the 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 disgruntled camps, uh, you know wherever they lay. But I got the impression just see- seeing this show and, and hearing this band, it was it was very clear to me that th- this is its own thing. This yeah. is a completely separate thing with its own life and its own story and its own identity. Um, and uh, and I'm I'm here for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the feeling that I had, you know. And because uh, on the first tour, we T Bone was in the touring band, mm-hmm. and he was a constant reminder. Not that he said anything; it's just having him there. That this thing is a new sound. This yeah. is a new thing that's developing. That's you know and. It really hasn't, not nothing directly tied to the past. You know, it's, it's, we use, you know, you go backwards to move forwards kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just, uh, you, you, you talked earlier about like, you know, when you're sitting behind Robert and kind of like the light, the light hits his hair a certain way. And, and, and I, I'm in, yeah, I'm in that vantage point. You yeah, know, but that. I had the same experience from the front because, you know, for, for the most part, like I said, this is its own thing with its own identity. Um, but there were there were just a couple of moments that I had that you described. Yeah. I was like, shit, he's still Robert Plant. He's like, there he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he takes that voice up. Yes. Know, that it's, 
it's powerful, man. Yeah, it's he really saves it like once or twice per set. You know, it's it's just yeah, yeah, <laughs> really amazing. No, it it it's the best seat in the house for sure. You know, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's such a gift. I I'm so thankful to be in the middle of that, and not only in the middle of it, but um, ha being allowed this freedom to put my voice in the hat yep. too, you know what I mean like they they they're very generous in you know opening the door for me to just go in and, and explore yeah yeah it, it seems trust. like trust there's a lot of great sure sure know. and you've been doing what you do long enough that that um like you said it's it's kind of a casting thing like you you get called to be you right? yeah because I'm not interested in trying to chase anything else that has happened mm -hmm. you know i mean there's never going to be another john bonham that's for sure right you know uh, we can all learn from it but you know i i, I don't i don't want to be an impersonator right right that's i mean some people are good at it mm -hmm. and that's totally fine me personally i i i, I just love listening to as much music as possible and letting it all stew with whatever's going on in my brain and what what I you know what I have to offer and move move it forward or whatever yeah, you know? yeah. but um I just I just love doing it yeah you know I I love it more now than maybe when I was a kid and I really loved it then you know? right but right I'm mean, more fascinated and uh, tortured by it in a good <laughs> way and uh, more of a student now than I when I was a student right well I think you know as as it's true for for anybody pretty much you know as we get older we, we become more and more of ourself hopefully yeah and I think you know at this stage in your career and especially on this gig like you're you're really getting to be the most yourself that yeah. you've ever been yeah and and you know always working on it yeah yeah it's interesting to we uh, we hadn't been out in 14 years or so you know on the road from yeah the last time mm -hmm. and when i was digging in and prepping for the material listening to the old record and some of the old touring recordings and then the new stuff and putting it all together and trying to figure out how to approach it all. You know, it's just, it's like looking at old photographs of yourself. Yeah. Where you go, yeah, I, I remember what I was thinking, but I'm not thinking that way anymore. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and it was interesting to figure out how to, again, move it forward, just approach those songs. You know, I, I I put a lot of care and time into supporting the songs the, the best that I could in that moment, mm -hmm. way back then. Mm -hmm. um, and some of it stands up for me. Yeah. But there are things that I've figured out, too, that could right. be different now. You know? Right, right. So you get to, like, implement that. Yeah, there, you know, there's an essence that I, I think, a sound that was created Mm -hmm. You know, as a as a whole, um, and uh, the 
I just carved out a, I don't know, it helped me carve out a certain approach to playing drums. A few months ago, before I went on this tour, I had the opportunity to play with Molly Miller in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yes. And your wife, Jen Condos, yes. came out with her, and uh, what a couple of unicorns they are. <laughs> that, I mean, it was such a great gig. It was such a fun, beautiful gig. Um, so, like, you're you're the guy, you're you're the, the drummer in that trio with Molly Miller around here. Um, and I, 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 I do want to talk about Molly because her, her music and her playing is just so cool. But I, I want to talk about Jen. Yeah. Um, playing with her was, was just magic. And, and I'm, I'm curious about your, um, just your, your relationship and how, um, you know, the husband-wife dynamic overlaps with the drums-bass dynamic and how you have sort of shaped each other uh, yeah. musically and otherwise over the years. We, we met playing together, and that was, that was it. <laughs> you know, I mean, not as far as getting involved romantically. It took mm -hmm. a couple of years, a few years, but musically, we were locked in from the very beginning mm -hmm. and just breathed together and played time together and just created a sound and sonically we're kind of land in a a place that just creates this this sound yeah. and uh we just don't talk about it <laughs> it's just very is. rare that there's a conversation jen always says that she she only notices the drummer when it's not when they're not playing the right thing mm -hmm. so because people will comment, they'll say something about me, and she'll just go, honestly, I don't, I'm not listening to him. But she doesn't mean it like that. Yeah, 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 I, don't I know think what you so. mean. I don't, at least, <laughs> who knows. Uh, no, it's just, you know, it's when, when you're, when you're lost in it and, it, and she definitely goes somewhere else when she plays. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, yeah. just and super deep deep place you know it's beautiful yeah and it was like i i couldn't i couldn't tell if if she was like intensely you know in the moment in the room or just kind of somewhere else in her own time zone or, or kind of both at the same time like yeah it I, was really amazing to she, be around she's whoever's what you know if it's a singer or a lead like molly or she's just focused on on the song and, yeah and the, the the performance and how some you know how someone's playing and right, right. and where to where to dance around you know yeah yeah musically right 
Um, and I mean, she, physically, she she does she does do a little bit of dancing back there. Yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. Um, so, how did the two of you come to uh, hook up with with Molly? That's a good question. We we met her brother. I met her brother, Sammy. He's an incredible drummer, and has a band, um, Sammy Miller and the Congregation. Does he live here? He's in New York. Now. Okay. But fantastic player and great band, really cool. great band. He he was hanging out with Levon Henry, who's the son of Joe Henry. Okay. And I worked. Jen and I both have worked. That we met playing with Joe Henry mm-hmm. years ago. And I've done a lot of records over the years with him. And so we met Sammy and. His parents, we we got to know the parents, and I forget how. It, maybe Jen met Molly first and mm-hmm. started. Well, they play every Monday night downtown. Right, this right. place Perch. Yeah, I know that place. Yeah, and they've been doing it for years. So maybe that's what happened. And then I think Jen invited her over here to. She wanted to make a record. We ended up recording the first record that we did with the trio here. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the second one we did with Mike Persante uh, in the studio here in yeah. Los Angeles at uh, United Studios. But so I think it, yeah, it just, and we just started playing together. I think maybe we started playing here and just working on songs and something just felt right about it yeah know? yeah it's really fun and it's a, i love instrumental music and I, I think it's really hard to do and some of the like the high bar instrumental bands for me conceptually the dmgs like booker teen yeah. Like yeah, they, yeah they were such great arrangers when they were backup singers, yep, and they had that sensibility when they played. Um, if you listen to Green Onions, that is like one of I don't know. It gets tossed off as this novelty song, but it's deep. It's a really deep. It's one of the hardest feels. No one plays that feel right when you, <laughs> when you hear cover bands. Oh yeah. I, if I hear a cover band playing that song, I'm immediately running in the other direction. Right. And if someone, if we're on a gig and someone wants to play it, I refuse to play it. Because <laughs> because they, we're not you know what, right. when they played it live, they didn't play it as good as when they played it in the studio. Yeah. What they captured in the studio. Yeah. Whatever is that impossible. was. Yeah. Um. Because Al Jackson Jr. doesn't even play a swing beat; he's just playing quarter to quarter. Right, and, and that, that and that that bass drum, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and and it's swinging so hard. Yeah, the whole thing, and everybody's playing the right parts, and really economical, and the as a whole, the machine is just totally. It's, it's rocking, man. Totally, that thing comes on the radio, and it just. It, it's rocking. I've really played hard. that song a ton of times, uh, mostly with Ty Bailey. Uh, <coughs> my, do you remember him? He, yeah, he lived here I for sure a while. do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and he loves playing it, and I love playing it with him. Um, but the the first time, he he really did me a solid the first time we played it together because I like I knew the song obviously, and I but probably played it before. But um, you know, we were just doing like a bar gig, and he was like, "Let's do Green Onions," and he he turned to me and he was like, "Quarter notes on the ride," and then he he, he kicked it off. Wow! And I like. <laughs> I went back and listened to it after that gig, and I was like, "Shit, I never even realized." Like, yeah. it's just yeah. Quarter notes. Well, it's great that he knows that and that he's using that as a as a guy because usually you get like that's a shuffle, right? Yeah, kind of. You know, it's a different. It's a dangerous shuffle, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. I, it horrifies me to play that, right? Because I can't, right? And I, you know, I, I whenever I play it, I I do quarter notes on the ride, but that doesn't mean that I'm getting it right <laughs> and know. there you know there's some great live footage of those guys and all the tempos were just pinned you know especially right. when they were playing with otis redding sure he, yeah yeah he'd start off as at a ballad tempo and then all of a sudden how how did they get into this you know <laughs> <coughs> and green onions gets into that zone it's still grooving and it's that's great but there's something about that record version that it's it gets you, gets you going, man. Yeah. It's such a deep groove. Well, and you talk about Molly's music and her compositions and instrumental music in general. Like, I, I feel like instrumental music, for the most part, you know, especially in the last few decades, uh, has been the the domain of, um, you know, jazz fusion, very complex, uh, yeah. testosterone laden, <laughs> yeah. music, um, but. You well, know the the exact like Green Onions and Molly's music are examples of instrumental music that is so simple and so lyrical. I think instrumentalists, you know, as as soon as they're playing without a singer, they're like, okay, let's no, fucking that's get that what to I it. found, and that's why I, I didn't mean to go off on the tangent. No, it was Green a good Onions, tangent. But any, it, any tangent but about it's Booker tied T in, a, It's tied into um, you still need to support the composition mm -hmm. and. And I love I love arrangements and I love trios. Yeah. And when you have a trio, and I've done duos too, and I think it's really important what you don't play. For sure. Because when you do play something, it makes and if you play something in the right spot, it makes it it gives you a broader bag. Yep. Like you you have more of a range um and you can get a lot a lot more out of things when when you're really thinking about what the song needs even if it's an instrumental and someone's playing the melody on a, a guitar or, or a piano yeah it's to me it's still the same as if the the uh, um uh, as having a, a, a someone singing a lyric, yeah, you know, and both in the case of Green Onions or any one of Booker T's songs, or you know, almost any one of Molly's yeah, it's songs, lyrical, like you were saying, you right? could put lyrics to it. Like yeah. they've written these melodies, and you could you could absolutely put lyrics to it. So this trio is really based around trying to support the composition and arrange things. Molly's really good at arranging, yeah, and she takes. She's good at taking jazz standards and making, putting her stamp and arranging them. Mm -hmm. But so Jan and Molly are writing together, and I think that's a really great combination. It is. Um, yeah. And they're coming up with these really cool, and we all 
kind of sit down and arrange it eventually, but these really cool melodies and things. And it's really about um, making things starting from a place of simplicity mm -hmm. and making sure that the, the, the song is the star, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this, uh, really cool combination of, of sort of, because I, especially on the last record, I think, um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the tones and melodies and just the whole vibe of it is, uh, very Western influence, like oh, yeah. very country Western, even kind of spaghetti Western. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, but you know their ability to sort of combine that kitschiness with, um, like you said, some depth and uh, just trusting the simplicity of it. I'm, I, th this this phrase "trusting the simplicity" is is rattling around in my head a lot because the the MD on um, "Ain't Too Proud," the the show I'm on, yeah, used that phrase just kind of in passing in, in yeah. a conversation, which is a, a very difficult thing to do. It really is. It really is. Um, but yeah, just this 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 combination of sort of, it's it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's also just so compositionally rich and yeah. you know, um, really cool music, uh, and I was just really really honored to get a, a chance to play it with them. <laughs> yeah, um, great. Yeah. So yeah, they were they loved having you. It was, yeah, they had a great time. Yeah, well. yeah. It, man, it was a blast. Um, it's exhausting. What is that? That gig sometimes is it really? I find it exhausting. How yeah. so? Molly is uh, her energy level is. That's true. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. And there's an age difference between right the three of us. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a hard time keeping up sometimes. But yeah, and it's it's not that Molly's like you know all over the stage. Um, there's just an intensity and no, such, an, such an intention about her playing. Oh, it's, yeah, she's very intense. Yeah. And what, what's coming out, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's delivered. It's delivered. It sure is. Really love that. Yeah. Um, is there more, uh, is there more uh, Robert and Allison traveling coming up? Or? I think so. I, I, I think we might be out again in mid-April for maybe a month and then take a couple weeks off and go out for another month. Cool. Cool. June into July, and in terms of the time you spend at home, um, what are you? Well, I mean, how do I want to phrase this question? Do you feel the need to stay busy when you're here, or? I no. I in fact, I didn't book any work for myself. I turned a lot of stuff down when I was in the middle of touring mm -hmm. because I didn't want to come back and be just catapulted into all other round right too quickly right i wanted to savor and enjoy what had just happened and, and also just be home and, and enjoy my home life right um with jennifer and basie our dog and just get <laughs> caught up and then slowly let things unfold and get back into it that way and that's what i did and it was it's been really good um i like i like having the time to just practice again and, and mm -hmm. just sit alone in a room with a set of drums. Yeah. And um and get caught up. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. I don't know, it as I've gotten older I my practice time is more efficient because I've played so much. I've had so much experience playing now that I know 
what does it feel right to me? And I can work, I can immediately go and work on these things mm -hmm. um, and figure them out. And are those things like musical, conceptual, or physical, or Both. all of that? Yeah, yeah, physical. You know, I've struggled with uh, with the physicality of playing drums my whole life because I, I didn't start off really playing a drum set. I started off playing bits and bobs around the house, right. buckets and pans and washing machines and... And I got used to the way all of that sounded, uh -huh. you know. So when I got older, before college, and got a proper drum set, I was really disappointed <laughs> <clears throat> because a lot of those treated, you know, like a washing machine sounds like a bass drum on a Phil Spector record. It sounds like it has chamber or reverb on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the that I would listen to those records, and I was just. How did how do they do that? I didn't know anything about the studio or reverb or anything, mm -hmm. uh, or editing or overdubbing, and you know, I I would sit endlessly trying to play a Stuart Copeland track, not knowing there were like eight hi hat overdubs and right. digital delay and all this kind of shit, yeah, you know, yeah. going on. And I'm there in my little basement in Maine, trying to figure it out. Oh fuck. <laughs> Which is great. I, I, you know, it do, doesn't happen so much anymore because we can find out how to do anything we want to do mm -hmm. with, with the internet. You right. Know? But I forget. Was it Art Tatum or one of those great piano players? Art, Art Tatum was blind, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I there's the story that he learned from piano rolls that were played by two people, uh -huh. four hands. Right. And he didn't know that. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so he just learned how to do that. Right. <laughs> Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I kind of I fell into a little bit of that, too, not knowing studio was. But anyway, so the drums, when I got behind a drum set, working the bass drum pedal and hi-hat and I don't know it just it's always been rickety for me um, <laughs> I'm also a lefty that was started at a right-handed drum set. okay yeah so I've st always struggled with dexterity in my bass drum foot mm -hmm. and I've always had this crazy active left foot hmm. with, which is why I put shakers on my leg and right um, and I have a lot of a lot of strength and if I had been a lefty drummer i'd probably have like this monster foot you know, <laughs> yeah bottom, bottom foot <laughs> right or something right but um but not having it's interesting it just shifted having that that weakness and i don't know i to this day like i can't even the most basic things i can't do on a bass drum that's why i play very simple and i like having a big bass drum because you, you get a lot of bang for the buck right right so a nice big long open tone and if i have to do fancy stuff i just i mute a floor tom or sometimes in the studio i'll take i have a smaller version of this drum that has a goat yeah. skin on it a smaller bass drum and i'll just put it up near the floor tom and i i play bass drum patterns with my right hand mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. and have that be the main you know, tell the engineer, 
four times the bass drum. Right. Bass drum is color. It's yeah. Like it's extra support. Yeah, yeah. But that's not where the that's not where the motor is. You know? Right. We talk all the time on the podcast about the you know the physical aspect of things in in general, but specifically like sort of identifying what your body wants to do and what it doesn't want to do and and building your sound around that um you know guitarists talk all the time about how like your sound is in your hands yeah um and it's totally true for us too like our sound is in our whole body and um you know I, to to an extent you have to work on stuff and train things and strengthen things and you know if there's a if there's a, a weak link in your chain somewhere yeah but you know, there's really something to be said for um, not f- not forcing your body to do shit that it just doesn't want to do, leaning into the stuff that that it does well, um, and it it seems like you've you've really done that. Like you've built your sound around obviously what you want to hear, but just what you're physically comfortable yeah. doing. Yeah, I, I I have found ways of dealing with it yeah you know and i try to do it the the way everybody else does it and it doesn't work you know there are guys out there that just have incredible power and dexterity i I was watching this clip and they had a side view so you could see his foot i've actually seen him live and i could see his foot but steve gadd yeah and he's you know he he was a tap dancer he's got that that rocking thing yeah yeah and it's just, I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, it's incredible. There's a balance problem that I have, hmm. you know, that, and I think it's because I, I sub, that's why, again, I use shakers on my left leg. I subdivide, you know, right. um, n- not always because it depends on the tempo, how fast I can move my leg. But, yeah. um, and if I can't really do that, it's I feel really off base, and I, I can't. It's hard for me to play the bass drum. It's hard for me to play like double strokes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, I I try to take chances and try to push out the notes sometimes and go for things I know I don't really know how to do. Yeah. And sometimes I get lucky. And <laughs> I was I was about to I, I've had the exact same experience so many times like yeah what, I'm once, sick of being afraid of it I've been mm. a, I was afraid for a long time of, of of technically no matter how much I practiced it didn't seem to matter uh-huh. like I still my foot was just lame yeah yeah you know so but when you talk about it, you're sick of being afraid of it like uh, d- does does that mean that you sort of stopped going for shit that you knew wasn't going to happen or no it, it makes me just it's like what's the worst that could happen right. <laughs> you know? i mean the whole thing just collapses maybe but <laughs> I don't know, it's an old drum set it's, it's a yeah, possibility exactly. <laughs> oh, but i i i want to keep trying you know and uh like this gig i did last night there's it's just wide open there's mm-hmm. a lot of freedom you know and and uh i i really go for shit i'm constantly falling off the cliff and making a bloody mess of myself but it's fun (laughs) yeah it's really fun yeah 
Well, man, it was great talking to you. Thanks for having me over. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for hosting in this in this super cool room. I wish you all could. I'm going to take a video of this room. Yeah. Because it's do. just like it, when I pictured, you know, the room that Jay Bellaros spends time in, th th this is it. This, this is I've it. I've lost a lot of hours in this chair. As you can tell the way I'm sitting in it. Uh, this is what happens. No, you haven't lost them. You've gained hours. Yeah. Right. <laughs> great talking to you, man. Thank you. Yeah, for likewise. Thank you. Appreciate it. There you go, Jay Belleros. They only made one of him. It was an absolute pleasure getting to know him, both from the audience perspective and in conversation with him. If you're in L.A., he plays frequently with the Molly Miller Trio, and look out for him in the rest of the world on tour with Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Next week, Matt Krauss will be talking with Dan Ainspan, host of the Nashville Drummers Podcast. It's always great to talk with our friends in the drum podcast racket, so that should be cool. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.